0: Hello and welcome to the Tebby Podcast. I'm Robin Powell, the editor of the investing and personal finance blog, The Evidence-Based Investor. This podcast is brought to you by Regis Media, a boutique provider of content and social media management for evidence-based financial advice and planning firms. Our latest guest is George Kinder, one of the most influential people in the global financial advice profession. George is best known as the founder of what's called the life planning movement. Life planners or financial life planners take a very different approach to the traditional product-led approach that's still preferred by most financial advisors today. George has homes in Hawaii and Massachusetts and describes himself as a poet, spiritual teacher, artist and photographer. He's also a big Anglophile and I caught up with him on his latest visit to London.
1: My background in in money and in financial services is that uh, I've been in the financial services industry for gosh, uh, 40, almost 50 years maybe. And what I'm known for in the industry, I mean, I was a money manager, I, did, I was a tax advisor, all those things. But what I'm known for in the industry is as the father of what's called the life planning movement. And it's a movement that brings a focus, a fiduciary focus to the consumer, to the client, so that it's very clear that the client comes first, not the products, not the profits. Um, uh, It's a transparent relationship. And what I've done is I've trained advisors to have fabulous relationships with the clients and then to to build a, a relationship that's so trustworthy that the client reveals what it is they really want out of life. And often that's a surprise to the client as much as it is to the advisor. And then the advisor devises the financial program to make sure that it happens.
0: Now, the role you described there is very different to the role of, let's face it, most financial advisors and, and planners around the world. Why do you think there is that big gap between what you're recommending, you know, life planning? and, you know, run of the mill, if I could call it that, financial <laughs> advice?
1: Uh, it's, very, it's very clear, all the power and all the money in the industry is in the product companies, so, and, and the, uh, what we think of as service providers, so that, the, uh, that that money is geared toward profit. It's geared toward selling things and, uh, and, and making profits that then in many very good ways come back to investors but the focus in relation to money should be on the client's freedom. Number one, absolutely on the client's freedom, and that's what we've trained advisors in the life planning movement to do.
0: What would you say to people who'd say, "No, I just want to invest, George. I don't need any of this life planning business." Well, what would you what would you say to them?
1: Well, I think that we all feel that, and part of the reason that is that that's happening is that you have that kind of response, is that clients in general don't trust, people don't trust financial advisors. So they think that any attempt at a genuine relationship between themselves and an advisor is likely to be manipulative, is likely to be aimed at the uh, profit of the advisor. So what I, I think the truth is, is, if I was talking to a consumer, I'd say, don't you want to live a life of freedom? Don't you want to live a life that, is, that fulfills That brings you to the greatest vitality, to the greatest passion, to the greatest meaning, and the greatest accomplishments that you can experience in your life. And if that's so, wouldn't it be good to have someone who really is exceptional at listening, so that they actually and engaging with you and supporting you around those uh, endeavors?
0: It I suppose boils down to finding someone you really, really can trust, and, and clearly has the, the sorts of skills that, that you train your uh, advisors in. Yeah. Um, but, but it's actually quite hard to find somebody who we really trust. How would you recommend people go about that?
1: Well, there, there's uh, we have a, a website that has hundreds of advisors uh, from England on it, uh, thousands of advisors all over the world. The best trained advisors that, uh, that we know of uh, are registered life planners, and there are dozens of those all all through England, all over England, I think uh, uh, probably over a hundred. So they are advisors who are trained to listen really well. To, they're trained in empathy, they're trained in relationship skills, but more than anything else they're trained to put the client's dream dreams of freedom first and to uh, use all of their financial skills to deliver the uh, clients into those dreams of freedom.
0: So what sorts of questions should you be asking a potential advisor to make sure that you're not getting the kind of financial salesman type?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, well, I, I think there are a couple of things. If you if you really want to be careful about the financial salesman type, you'd want to find out to what extent they get money paid for by product companies, and you'd want to minimize that. So there's virtually none. Uh, and the, uh, the other thing really is, have they been trained uh, as a registered life planner in, in listening skills. Mm. I think that would be the main thing. What would you
0: say to the suggestion, you know, that, that financial advisors, I mean, I know you call them financial planners and, and, right. and life planners specifically, but, yeah. what, but but some people might say, you know, financial advisors should be dealing with financial matters. For yeah. these, all these other things you should be talking to, I don't know, a counsellor or yeah a minister of religion or a a spiritual mentor, if you like.
1: What do you say to that? Well, I think that most people, when they think about a financial advisor just having to do with financial matters, they're actually the ripest candidates for being taken advantage of because the people that just pay attention to finance and don't really care about you, don't really listen to you, aren't concerned about your issues, are going to be salespeople. They're going to be Mm. selling you on products or services uh, their main aim is making a profit for their own business. Uh, they don't have a passionate uh, concern about delivering you into freedom. So if that's what you want, then you're pretty much asking for uh, the potential of trouble down the line.
0: You're also a, a big fan of uh, mindfulness. So h- how did all that start and, and why do you think mindfulness is, is so powerful?
1: Yeah. Mindfulness is, I I love mindfulness. As you know, I've I've done it for 50 years and I've done it uh, and I do it a lot. Uh, Right now I'm doing it probably several hours a day. I I just love it. But what it does for, what it really is about, what people don't realize, and people think it's meditation. Well, yeah, it's meditation. But what it really is, is listening. Mm. So you're paying attention. So it's a training in paying attention. Mm. And you're paying attention in here. You're paying attention in a way to who you are. So you're paying attention to these moments where uh, you feel wonderful, and these moments where you feel frustrated, these moments where you feel fearful or anxious or guilty or shameful, which we all have as human beings. Mm-hmm. And you might go, "Well, what's the point of that?" Well, the point of it is is that if you're if you've trained yourself to listen that well inside of yourself, you're going to be much more empathic toward a client who's feeling anxiety, who's feeling frustrated, who's feeling angry, or feeling guilty, uh, or feeling confused. You're gonna be much more there for them because you've trained yourself to listen quietly inside yourself first. There's a guy um,
0: called Andy Puddlecombe who's yes. quite well known here in the UK and he's written yeah. various books about this subject. And he talks about meditating yeah. for hours on end. Yeah. And, and the question that you know, i want to ask him and you how do you get any work done
1: <laughs> well i i mean t- to me what what uh what's important is to put first things first so uh i've, I've always felt that meditation was going to make me a better person i mean it does it does multiple things and uh several of them mean that i work much more efficiently so for instance the primary practice that is taught in mindfulness is to uh, really focus on the present moment, uh, which, as you know, it's impossible to do because it keeps disappearing on you. But what that does is that it makes you much quicker in a moment, much clearer in the moment, much more capable at a moment's notice to focus and be present so you're really much more alert. There's a, a wonderful study. One of the, I mean, there's so many studies now, scientific studies about mindfulness. One of the ones I love for my 15 year old daughters is, uh, I tell them mindfulness will make you smarter. And there's a, an incredible study of these students who are, uh, in, uh, uh in high school, it's a America America who are, at, or college, and they're looking to go to university after college. And they do a course for six weeks in mindfulness. And it turns out that their test scores are tested just before they do the course and just after, and they go up by anywhere from 15 to 30%, just from six weeks of the course. It's astonishing. You know, you wonder why is that happening? I think it's pretty clear why it's happening because what's happening is that you're in mindfulness, you're constantly coming back to the present moment. So you're challenging yourself really to be right here. So, in addition to uh, these listening skills and being more emotionally aware with a client, you're toe to toe with them. You're alert and present. So, I, I think that I work much more efficiently because of that.
0: So, how does mindfulness specifically help investors?
1: Well, it, it will mean that uh, that you don't uh, go you don't get go crazy with greed or with fear. Uh, at the very worst moments. As, as, uh, as we know, the, um, the, the most common pattern in, in investing is not to buy low and sell high, which is the smartest thing to do. The most common pattern in, in, in investing is that we all buy high when everybody's enthusiastic about something, and then we sell low when everybody's pessimistic about something. So what happens, That that's driven by uh, greed and fear. Uh, what mindfulness does is it um, creates more patience, more equanimity, more quietness, less reactivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're more able to be here, be present.
0: And as you know, George, one of the big obstacles to a successful investment experience is actually reacting to events. You know, our, our, our natural inclination to want to want to do something. Yeah. So. From a mindfulness aspect then, um, what would your recommendation be to people who you know, are anxious about the markets? Maybe maybe markets are, are falling heavily and they're watching the value of their portfolio go down. What should they be doing from a mindfulness perspective?
1: Well, I, I don't know if mindfulness is the right tool exactly mm. in the moment, because mindfulness is something that builds over time. There There are incredible studies. There's a wonderful book called Altered States, which is a survey of thousands of uh, studies of, of uh, scientific studies of mindfulness. And what it's really talking about is how we build inside ourselves these qualities of, of patience, of kindness, of generosity, uh, of focus, of concentration, um, by the amount of time over a lifetime that we have meditated. Just a little bit of meditation, as, as uh, was expressed in this in this uh, example of just six weeks uh, mm. uh, and test scores uh, can help tremendously. So my main recommendation would be to if you aren't doing mindfulness, get a practice going. And if you are, I would double your practice time. <laughs> and, and I think the third thing is uh, find an advisor who's trustworthy. Mm. And because they will help settle you down. They have listening skills inside of them and they'll help settle you down so you don't make foolish mistakes.
0: Mm. I remember um, making a bit of a foolish mistake quite a a while ago uh, and investing quite a lot of money just before the markets went down uh, very sharply, getting in a a real state uh, emotionally um, and blaming myself and, and actually um, turning to a book by Eckhart Tolle, um, oh, yeah. the the yeah. the Power of Now, I think it yeah. was, which I found helpful. Yeah. Um, are, there, are there any other books that you would particularly recommend people try?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm very partial to my own. <laughs> so I'll <laughs> oh, go on mention those. George, mention those. <laughs> so I've, ri- I've written two books uh, really explicitly about mindfulness. One, just mindfulness practice. It's a secular book. It's got about 80 different practices in it. And it's called Transforming Suffering into Wisdom. So it would have been very helpful for you. It would. It (laughs) would. I
0: was certainly suffering.
1: (laughs) And it's written in these very simple, you know, one page to two pages or a chapter. Mm. So you can really read it, put it aside, reflect, Mm. and do a little meditation and gain a great deal from it. And the other one is the one that I've just finished, which is... Uh, uh, really in regard to all this turmoil we find ourselves in in civilization both coming out of the banking crisis and then coming out of these challenges to our democratic systems across the Western world Uh, and it's called a golden civilization and the map of mindfulness and in there I actually talk about how do we bring mindfulness practice to bear on the structures and systems that have led us into this turmoil that we find ourselves in in civilization, and how can we actually create, in relatively short order, a civilization that is thriving and sustainable and just amazing with freedom.
0: Mm. I mean, a, 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 a structure, and industry that you're very familiar with is the asset management industry, which is itself going through a period of, of, of turmoil at the moment. Is there anything, that, that industry can learn from the kinds of
1: things you're saying? Well, I, I, I'm, in a way, I'm, I'm going toward a zero tolerance place. Um, I've been in the industry for almost 40 years, 50 years, uh, and, um, uh, and I entered the industry thinking that, gosh, I might be able to make a difference. When the banking crisis hit in 2008, I was personally devastated because I thought uh, I questioned everything that I'd done. Mm. You know, what, what have I been doing for 40 years? Mm. How could this be happening? I think it's time for uh, people in, on the product side and people on the advice side to really uh, reflect and determine that corruption is not acceptable, that there ought to be much higher price paid for it. Um, that there should be an absolute fierce wall between advice and products, between advice and large institutions, and between our regulators and large institutions. I think that uh, 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 so we need uh, an integrity that is impeccable if we are to have a civilization that will thrive. Just just one image, if I may, from this. It's just amazing. You, You know the Cassini satellite? Yes. So yes. it goes out, you know, it goes all the way to Saturn's rings. Mm. It's so amazing. Mm. And, uh, and then sends back these images to us. Well, there's a, uh, if that satellite were off by even a couple of inches for every mile that it goes, mm. would it get to Saturn's rings? No. No. Mm. No. So NASA has a term for that impeccability of trajectory, of aim. Mm. Do you know what the term is? No, zero tolerance or? Close, it's integrity. Integrity, yeah. The integrity of their systems is impeccable. Mm. That it's time for us to no longer settle for, well, yeah, you can sell product and give advice. I don't think so. We need people to be completely on the side of the consumer. Uh, uh, And uh, it's time to, uh, to make that integrity the number one thing in the industry.
0: Final question, George, because I know you're busy um, on that same subject. Um, are you optimistic that we're moving to a, a financial industry with with more integrity? I mean, um, yes, we are seeing some headway being made, but at the same time, it, it seems sometimes to be kind of two steps forward and one step back. Well, what's your view on that?
1: I think it's probably two steps forward and two steps back we're seeing. And mm. we keep seeing changes that are for the good, and then we see advantages that are taken in places we hadn't imagined. And I think that the more complex our systems are, when they're getting more complex all the time, because we're so brilliant as creatures, uh, that until we actually institute a way of bringing good heart and, uh, and great integrity and a fiduciary relationship uh, that is sustainable into the industry, um, that, that we are uh, going to fail as an industry. It will not, it will not hold. That said, I'm enormously optimistic, and the reason that I'm optimistic is we can't do it any other way. We have to make this change, and we have to make it now.
0: George, it's good to end on a on a positive note. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck with the book, and, and you're, you're going on a world tour, pretty much, aren't you, talking about yes. your book?
1: Yes, the, the book, A Golden Civilization and the Map of Mindfulness. I'm excited about it all over the world. Yeah. Thank you very much, George
0: Kinder. Well, that's about it for this episode of the Tebby Podcast. You've been listening to me, Robin Powell. As always, this programme has been brought to you by Regis Media. You can find out more about Regis Media and the work it does with financial advice firms around the world by visiting the website Regis, that's Regis with an I, regismedia.com, regismedia.com. If you've not discovered our blog yet, you'll find it at evidenceinvestor.com. That's evidenceinvestor.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and, of course, on YouTube. My thanks again to George Kinder, to our producer, James Cresswell, but most of all, to you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.